Good morning. My name is Kristen Paleo, and I have the honor of reading the scripture for this morning's sermon. If you would turn to Romans 10, verses 5 through 17, or follow along on the screen, it's found on page 890 of the Pew Bible. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. This is the Lord's word. Thank you, Kristen, for reading this morning. And good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Community, and it's my privilege this morning to preach the last sermon in our sermon series that we've been preaching through the month of August uh, on God's heart for the nations. And we've been walking through the past four weeks through the storyline of the Bible, picking out specific passages that speak to God's love and desire that people from every tribe and tongue and language should be brought into his family. And now on this last Sunday, we are going to hone in on a passage of Scripture that explicitly speaks to what our role is in that process. If God's heart is that all people from every tribe and tongue would come to know him as Lord and Savior, what does that mean for us? Many of us have had a moment with children, whether it's with our own children or maybe it's when you've been babysitting or with nieces or nephews or maybe you've been teaching a Sunday school class, where after you utter a word or phrase, a child will say, what does that mean? And it's in that moment that you begin to question everything that you think you know about reality. Because as it turns out, It is really hard to try to explain something that you know so deeply, but never really have your knowledge tested in. And even simple words and concepts can be difficult for us to define and to explain. And yet, whenever we're asked to teach those things, whenever our kids ask us, what does that mean? 
oftentimes, after we have to struggle and grasp to explain what it means, we, we leave that encounter with a deeper understanding of the word or phrase in question. We know more of what it means now. Even though we think we fully knew a given word or phrase, we often learn more when we return to the basics. And the basic message of Christianity is like that as well. And Romans chapter 10, which we are going to look at briefly this morning, is like that. You see, this passage explains Christianity and its implications for our lives and world in a way that is so simple, a child or someone who has never even heard the name of Jesus Christ can understand it. And yet, for those of you who may have known these verses your whole life, in returning to them this morning, I trust that the good news of Jesus and what it means for your life will sink down deeper into you than it ever has before. And I pray that as we study this text this morning, that this simple message of the gospel would spill over into lives lived to see God's kingdom expanded among the nations. Well, we're picking up here near the, the beginning of chapter 10 of the book of Romans. Now, at risk of oversimplifying, this section of Romans 9 to 11, in chapter 9, Paul discusses the work of God in salvation. But he pulls back in that chapter the curtain of history and shows us God's action and purposes in choosing people, not just from the nation of Israel, but people from all nations to be a part of his family and to take part in his plan of salvation. But if Romans 9 focuses on God's action and purposes, Romans chapter 10 shifts our focus. In chapter 10, Paul shifts to unpack our role as human agents in God's plan of salvation. What is our part to play in God's work of redemption for all people? Now, in the first section of this passage where we had read for us this morning, in verses 5 through, 15, or 5 through 13, Paul teaches us two things about Jesus and the message about him that he proclaims. And the first is that Jesus is easily accessible. Jesus is easily accessible. Now, as Paul talks about our role as humans in God's plan of salvation, he contrasts the way that we naturally operate in our sinful state with the way that the gospel of Jesus teaches us to operate. And you see, what I mean by that is that naturally, left to ourselves, we all act and live as if God's action in saving us, as if our own right standing before God depends upon what we do. We believe that our good behavior and our obedience causes God to love us. 
And this is precisely what the Jewish people of Paul's day thought, the the type of thought that Paul is explicitly rebutting here at the beginning of this section. They thought that their obedience to the Jewish law made them righteous before God, and and it was a place of pride in their hearts. But this same attitude of trying to establish our own righteousness dominates our world today. It's the same attitude that dominates our social media feeds, where we all say, look at me supporting so-and-so social justice cause, or look at me not supporting so-and-so business because of their positions on social issues. Essentially, the cry from our phones every day is, look at me and look at how righteous I am. Or this same attitude is found in those of us whose Christian lives essentially consist of us saying to God, God, I'm sorry about what I did. I'll try harder. I'll do better next time. I promise. But as verses 6 through 9 of this passage tell us, the good news of the gospel says that we attain God's love and right standing before him, not by striving after it, but simply by opening up our hands and receiving it. You don't have to do a song and dance to get God to notice you. You don't have to coax Jesus down out of heaven or up from the grave with your good behavior, as it says in verses 6 and 7. You aren't condemned to try to make God love you by what you do. Rather, as it says in verse 8, Jesus is near to you in the gospel. He has come down to earth. He has died for our failure to obey him. And he has risen from the dead, not because of what you have done, but because of the depths of his love. And as it says in verse 9, all we must do as sinful and broken people to receive Jesus is to confess that he is Lord and trust that he rose from the dead bodily. That's it. We don't have to strive after it. We have to receive it. Now, if your life as a Christian feels each day like trying to lift a 300-pound ball over your head and carry it around with you all day without putting it down, then you are likely trusting in your own works and not in Christ's and his righteousness for you. You see, Jesus wants us to turn to him precisely in our lowest moments, precisely in the moments when we in our sin would want to trust our own righteousness and would want to keep Jesus at arm's length. It's our very moments of deepest sin that draw out Jesus towards us. It's the moments of our deepest sin that actually were in Jesus' mind as he left heaven, as he rose from the grave, as he did all that was necessary for your salvation. Church, all we must do, whether for the first time this morning or the one millionth time, is turn to him and trust him. Jesus is easily accessible. But not only that, 
Jesus is also equally accessible. Look with me again, if you would, at verse 12 of this passage. The Apostle Paul writes there, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Jesus has resurrected from the grave and sits as the Lord of the universe. Jesus is Lord of all, and he purchased the riches of salvation, not just for one special subset of humanity, but for all people. Anyone to whom he, would, he gives freely to anyone who would receive him. Do you see his heart for the nations displayed here in verse 12? Jesus is not stingy with his wealth. Jesus gives freely to anyone who would call on him. He bestows his riches. Jesus himself did everything that was necessary so the riches of his blessing could flow to every nation on earth. Just as we saw several weeks ago was promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. Everyone No matter your background, ethnicity, past sins, family heritage, economic position, country of origin, or any other distinction, anyone who trusts in Christ's work for them will be saved. That is the beautiful, simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is easily accessible, and Jesus is equally accessible. And so what does this message of the good news mean for our lives? If all nations can simply call on the name of Jesus and be saved, what does this mean then for us here at Community Free Church? Well, if we read verses 14 and 15 again, Paul hones in for us on how this message of the good news for all people applies to us. Let's read those verses together again. He says in verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now that quotation, that part of the end of verse 15 that's in quotation marks there, is taken from Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7. It should have sounded familiar to all of us as it was the beginning of the passage we read for our call to worship this morning. And the image that's drawn here from Isaiah 52 is is one of a herald Uh, Someone who would run from town to town proclaiming that a war had ended and that there was a new king on the throne promising peace. That's actually where our word gospel comes from. In its original context, the word gospel was good news that was declared by someone who would go around from town to town saying that their king had won a victory for them. That there was peace. That was a message that Japanese soldier Hiro Onada would have been 
good or better off to have heard. See, Hiro Onoda was a Japanese soldier in World War II who was stationed on Lubang Island of the Philippines. Now, this might sound outlandish. This is a true story. There's a BBC article about this. You can, you can look it up. But Onoda was, was sent to this island with the commission to wage guerrilla warfare against the American forces there and to not surrender no matter what happened to him. So after the war ended in 1945, Onoda continued fighting because he didn't hear the news that the war was over. In fact, as word trickled back to Japanese leadership about this crazy man who was claimed to be a Japanese soldier running around the island and, and killing locals, they, they were like, you need to get your guy out of here. And so the Japanese flew over the island and dropped leaflets saying, the war is over, surrender. And he still wouldn't surrender. He didn't surrender until in 1974, his original commander came to the island and decommissioned him in person. It's crazy, right? Onoda continued fighting because he did not receive news that the war was over. With Jesus' defeat of, of death and his ascension into heaven, he is the rightful ruler of the nations. He sits on the throne as king. There is peace and reconciliation available to any who would come for him. He is easily and equally accessible. That's good news for the nations. Joy to the world. And yet, the implication of this passage is that if people who have themselves received the gospel do not bring the gospel to those who have not heard, they are unable to receive these terms of peace. They will continue fighting against their creator as Onoda fought against the American forces. The nations will continue to rage, as it says in Psalm chapter 2. Now, I've heard it said often in church contexts that God doesn't need us to accomplish his purposes in the world. And while I agree with what I believe that statement is trying to say, I think it's often very misguided. Surely God is God. Right? God can do what he pleases. He is not dependent on anyone or anything for anything that he does. Amen. But God in his wisdom and providence has chosen to include human beings in his purposes to accomplish the spreading of his joy and glory to the world through the preaching of Jesus. God has given us a part to play in this grand story that he is writing. Theologian J.I. Packer puts it like this in a way that I think is very succinct and gets to the heart of the matter. He says, we must realize that when God sends us to evangelize, he sends us to act as vital links in the chain of his purpose. The fact that he has such a purpose, that cannot be thwarted, does not imply that, after all, our evangelizing is not needed for its fulfillment. You see, if faith 
in Jesus comes by hearing the gospel. And hearing the gospel comes by the proclamation of the gospel, as it says in verse 17, gospel proclaimers are necessary for people to experience the joy of the living Jesus. Without preachers of good news, the nations will perish. But notice something with me in verses 14 and 15. Another detail here. Paul never draws the explicit command you think he might from his rhetorical questions. So the logical conclusion of his questions would be something like this. So he says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And we'd expect him to say, therefore, as the church, those commissioned and sent by Jesus himself, go, preach. But he doesn't give us that explicit commandment. And this is a bit of speculation, but I think that might be, the reason for that might be because Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knows that sheer commandments are not enough to motivate us to go to the nations. We need something bigger, something more grand to motivate us than a simple command to go. We need the vision of God's beauty and the grandeur of his plan to inspire us and to ignite our hearts for his mission in the world. And so that's why he ends not with therefore go, but in verse 15 he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It's the beauty of proclaiming the gospel that will inspire us. Or as he says in verse 12, it is, the, it is the riches of God himself to us that will motivate us to go to the nations. Those who have received such riches freely, we cannot hoard those riches. We must give of them freely as Jesus has given to us. Only those who know the riches they have been given to them in Christ will give them away just as freely. This is what ignites our hearts and motivates us towards mission. That since we have received the riches of God, we must then go and proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection to people from all nations. That is what the Lord would have for us from this passage this morning. But what does that look like on the ground in specifics? Well, let me give us three things as I close up my sermon this morning that follow from this bigger point in this teaching this morning. The first thing I would encourage you to do is to take some time, whether today or this week, to personally or maybe with your family or with your community group or with your roommates, take time to meditate on God's love for you and for the world. Think about the scripture passages that we have walked through in this sermon series, spanning the whole Bible and how they open up God's heart for the nations for us. 
Ponder the things that we have talked about in this series. Pray with the Lord about what these truths might mean for your life and for your family's life and the life of your community group and the life of our church. And may the Spirit of God bring fruit as you ponder these things and pray over these things. The second thing I would encourage you with is I would encourage you to go to your neighbors and your family members and your coworkers with the gospel the same way that people might have flooded the streets and proclaimed the end of World War II. Go and proclaim the gospel with your whole life with joy. Church, if you truly have been given the riches of God in Christ, live like it, act like it, speak like it. As Pastor John Piper says, we cannot commend what we don't cherish ourselves. Evangelism is not a drudgery. We are welcomed as the church of Christ into God's plans for the, on the front lines of history. There is nothing boring about that. And so start opening up your life and your home to people who don't know Jesus and do it with the expectant hope that Jesus will work and that he loves to give opportunities to share his good news with other people. And lastly, this passage of scripture directly applies to our new missionary partnership where we're seeking to reach an unreached people group in a country in Southeast Asia, which we're going to talk more about today and then on Wednesday night here at the church. Now, this particular country, we're, we're unable to tell you the name of this country because it's a closed access country. This country has anti-conversion laws on the books, and there are many people groups in this country with few, if any, Christians among them. And through this partnership, which we're going to talk more about, we as a church are attempting to take this text of Scripture seriously. How will this unreached people group in Southeast Asia believe if they have never heard? And how will they hear if there is no one to preach to them? We have the opportunity as a church to step in corporately and join in God's mission as we embark on this partnership. You see, Jesus has been exalted as the risen king over the nations. And all that the nations need to do to experience the joy of living under his reign is to believe in the good news. But this people group needs someone to bring the good news of Jesus near to them. And so that is why we are embarking on this partnership, which we're excited to talk to you more about. But as I wrap up my sermon, my prayer for us as a church is simple. It's that this simple, almost childlike word and message of the good news that's recorded for us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That this simple, childlike confession will continue to transform us daily and would propel us out toward the nations 
with the same heart of love that God has shown towards us in the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that though we were lost in darkness, that you have caused your marvelous light to shine upon us. Lord, thank you that somebody in our life chose to preach the good news to us and that through that you have caused our hearts to come alive to the gospel. And so God, help us to accept our position in your plan to see people come to know you. May we embrace that calling. May we do it with joy and expectancy and excitement, knowing that you have invited us into something that is grand, purposes that every tribe and tongue and nation might proclaim Jesus as Lord. And so, Lord, as we hear more about things that are happening across the world and hear more about peoples who don't know you, may you stir in us a passion to see the nations ignited with the joy of Jesus Christ. We love you. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.